If you've been with us for a while, we've been in a series through the book of Joshua. And what, to me, it's one of the most exciting books in the, in the Old Testament. And, uh, and we've been talking about going from good to great. How to move from good to great. And in Joshua, the book of Joshua is all about talking about how to live that great spiritual life. And, uh, and if you, you know, the, the, the Old Testament, this whole journey of the Israelites from Egypt into the promised land been a picture. It's been a, a picture for us in our Christian life. It started in Egypt. And the Israelites were under bondage. They were there for hundreds of years. And they were under bondage. They were slaves. And, and the guy brought a man named Moses to come around. And Moses, you know, he delivered them out of Egypt. Which is the picture of our salvation, the exodus. It's a picture of us breaking the bondage of our sins, the bondage of our past, and then step and, and stepping into new life in Christ. And so that's a picture right there that Moses, did, you, know, you know, God leading him out of Egypt and then wandered in the wilderness, but was supposed to be two years mass, you know, to develop, to grow, to learn, to be discipled. But they stayed there for 40 years. And the reason they stayed there is because they did not trust God, that God would take them to the promised land and to win over and to defeat the enemies of the promised land. They, just, they got scared. They got settled. They got content in the wilderness. And oftentimes, many Christians, that's where we settle. You know, we got our ticket to heaven. We've been saved. That used to come in our life, but then we stopped growing. We stopped growing our faith. And, and we wander in the wilderness. We, content, we, we get content. Jim Collins said that the good is the enemy of great. Sometimes we say, I'm just good enough. But God said, man, I don't want you to stay there. I want you to go to spiritual greatness. And so Joshua begins with the next generation. After 40 years of wandering, that generation passed away, and Joshua leads the next generation, the children. Now they're all grown up. And we've seen since chapter 1, God blessing upon blessing upon blessing, victory after victory after victory. Last week, we talked about the, the, the first battle, the city of Jericho, the walls of Jericho. You know, and, and if you remember last week, you know, they had a plan. God, God, you know, God showed up and said, hey, guys, I know you have a plan to take Jericho, but I have a crazier plan. And, and so they listened to God and they said, okay, God, we're going to follow your plan because you're God. And so they listened and they went and followed after God's command. They followed God's plan. They marched around the city of Jericho over the course of seven days. 13 different times. You know, they marched, they played trumpets. It was the greatest marching band in the history of the universe. And after 13 times of walking around the city, the Bible said that the walls came tumbling down. We pick up that story in verse number, in chapter number 6, in verse number 16. The seventh time around, this is the seventh day, remember, the, the Every day, they want to sit, they march one time, and then on the seventh day, seven times. The Bible, Bible says the seventh time around, 
When the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. And then Joshua said, but we've got to keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. He said, all the silver and all the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They must go into his treasury, into his tabernacle, the place of worship. All right, so verse number 20. So the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls came tumbling down. And everyone charged straight in, and they took over the city. They devoted the city to the Lord, and they destroyed with the sword, they destroyed everyone with the sword, every living thing in it. Now, can you imagine for just a minute the celebration that night? The most heavily fortified city of the ancient world had been conquered without losing one Israelite soldier. Notice in verse 18 and 19 that we read, notice what God told them, a very specific command that we just read. And it's very important to the story that we're reading today. God had commanded the people of Israel that everything in Jericho would belong to him. Everything would be belong to him. It would, everything would be holy to him. Not one single item was to be taken by the Israelites. Now you need to understand a soldier, oftentimes at this time period, of any nation, the, the way that they got paid, the way they got compensated, if they survived the battle, they would be able to plunder at their choice whatever they can get. First come, first serve. That's how they got paid. That's how they survived. You know, oftentimes that, that was the motivation to go to war. To, hey, go to, if you come and if you survive, you know, this, this city, this town that we're going to take out, man, they, it's rich, it's wealthy, and it's okay, I'm in. You know, because I need I need some stuff for my for my wife and from family. You know, and so and so that was the mindset. And, and and the Israelites, think about this: the Israelites have been in wilderness for forty years. For forty years, the stuff from Egypt they didn't have a they didn't have a lot of great stuff. You know, but they had their tent, they had their clothes. And after forty years of you know they've been they're stuff been kind of decaying. The holes in the, in, the, in the tent a little bit, you know, they've got some, the, the, the clothes, you know, we're getting outdated. Can you imagine wearing clothes from 40 years ago? You know, all that polyester, come on. You know, so, you know bell bottom. And someone said, hey, God, you know, someone said, bell bottom's coming in style. Hey, whatever, whatever, okay? You, you can roll with that if you want to go with bell bottoms again. You know, but hey, you know, they're, they're outdated, probably didn't fit them as well. I mean, a lot, a lot can happen in 40 years. And they said, man, we need a good plunder. 
we need, we need something good here. And, 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 so, and so, you know, they got the city of Jericho coming up. and said, ooh, that's going to be a good city. You know, everybody thinking about, you know, the wife said, hey, honey, when you go to battle, you know, make sure you bring me some jewelry, you know, bring me some stuff. I need a new outfit. You know, let's get a new canvas for the tent. You know, got holes in it. it, it, it come on, let's, we need an upgrade. And they were like, man, he said, okay, honey, I'll take care of you. You know, and so they get ready for battle, and then God says, hey, guys, listen. This first city, the plunder belongs to me, not for you. And you see, there's a, there's a principle that God has been teaching, the, you know, the Israelites. And it's relevant for us today. But the principle that God was teaching, and I don't want you to miss this, but God was asking them, if you're taking notes, God was asking them to give him the first and the best. God will bless the rest. I'm moving from good to great in our spiritual life. This statement right here, it's a statement of trust. They said, God, I'm trusting you with my first and my best. And I believe that you'll take care of me the rest of the way. That you'll watch over me, that your hand of protection will be on me. That's a faith decision. From moving from good to great, talking about growing your faith. It's really understanding this principle. God had been teaching the Israelites to give him of the uh, you know, give him the first of the week, the Sabbath. You know, he'd been teaching them to rest on the first day of the week. God had been teaching them to give of the first fruit of the harvest to him. The first fruit of the harvest belongs to God. You see, when you give of your best to the Lord, he will take care of you. He will take care of the rest. In the battle of Jericho, God was asking the Israelites to trust him with the first city. Now, there were 30 other city-states after Jericho. And God let them have the rest of it. They had plunder of all the rest of the cities. But God was saying, I need the first city I want Jericho to all belong to me. Now think about the application for your life and mine. Do you give God your first and best? Do you trust him with the first? Do you trust him with your best? In the areas of, in the areas of your time, do you give God the first of your day. I know for me, sometimes it's so easy, and a lot of time I fail this. And the, the very first thing I'm checking is, is my emails, you know, or the notification on who won the game last night, you know, uh, or Facebook. Uh, I got to check and see if there's, an, if, if there's been a, a comment or if someone, you know, heard my comment. You know, I, I, those are sometimes the first thing we, 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 we draw to. Now, listen, maybe to your phone, the first thing you do is read God's word. And I think that's wonderful. 
What, what if we gave God our first and our best? First thing we do is talking to God. And I'm reading his word. And I'm not saying that this is an hour ritual, but this is a habit to be absorbed and to be practiced. Maybe it's five, ten minutes. What if the first five, ten minutes, I say, God, I'm going to commit the first five, ten minutes to you. Before I brush my teeth, before I eat a bowl of cereal, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to reflect on, I'm going to make it a priority of your time. You're here this morning. You've given God this morning the first of your week. This is a wonderful thing. It's priorities. So God, the first of the week belongs to you. And I'm going to trust you that you'll bless the rest of my day and the rest of my week. But what if you give God the first of your abilities? So God's given you gifts. Every one of you here given you specific gifts and talents and abilities. What if you gave, you said, God, you have blessed me with knowledge of, 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 of practicality, practical knowledge. You gifted me that, and I want to use it for your glory. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to give back of my talents. What if you give God the first and the best of your Treasures, how God has taken care of you financially. You know, this, this is the first Sunday of the month, and the way I get, I get paid every month, once a month. And the very first Sunday of every month, it's my first check before I pay the bills. Before I do this, before I do that, before I make other plans, I dedicate my first and the best, and I just give it to him. And I trust that God will take care of the rest. That he will provide my needs. We'll go from good to great. It's the faith idea of giving him your first and best, not your leftovers. Right? Not your crumbs. That's what we like to do sometimes. God, if I have time, I'll give you my time. God, whatever I have left to give of my talents, I'll let you have it. You know, whatever I have left for my, uh, my treasures, God, I'll let you have it. What, what if we flip the script? Say, God, I'm going to give you my first. I'll give you my best. That's what God was asking for here in this story. And, and, and so we're continuing this story. I mean, you know, they won. They, they, they saw Jericho. They destroyed Jericho. And God gave them a great victory. Look at verse 27. And the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame spread throughout the land. Man, it, it, chapter 6 ended on a great note, didn't it? Man, they won. God, God is blessing them. And then we get to chapter 7. Chapter 7 starts off with one word. In fact, all the other chapters of Joshua doesn't start with this word. All that chapter started with now, then. I mean, it was just you know, one thing after another. But then chapter 7, it's ominous word. The word, but. Notice it. The word, 
Now, sometimes when the word but, what follows after the word but isn't always pleasant. You know, sometimes people say to me, they say, hey, God, um, you know, I don't want to be critical, but. And they intend to be critical, okay? In Joshua 7, the word but, it's about a sad story of, of sin and suffering. Look at verse 1. But. The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Someone did not give God the first and the best. A guy named Achan. The Bible said Achan, he took some of them. He took some of the devoted things. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Today's message is all about how sin can destroy your life. Look at verse 2. No one knows about it. It's Achan. He hidden his sin. He took what didn't belong to him. And no one knows. Business as usual, verse number 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to a little city, a little town called Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, now all the army needs to go against Ai. Wouldn't maybe send two or three thousand men to take it? Well, only a few people lived there. So the spies were like, hey, Joshua, this is a slam dunk. You know, Ai is a bump on the road. Easy. We don't need to send the, the whole team. Just send the JV team in. You know, let the JV guy take care of this one. You know, this is a walk in the park. The word AI, it literally means ruins. Ruins. You can imagine how impressive or unimpressive this city was. I mean, it was a dump. Right? It was easy. And, and, and so they thought, man, this is going to... Look after So Joshua said, okay, let's send the 3,000 men in. The Bible says in verse 4, about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of the men. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries. They struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear, and it became like water. I mean, all the confidence that they had about God on their side just melted away. They got, I mean, they were like blown away. They were like overwhelmed. They were confused. They were shattered. I mean, this was so unexpected. I mean, the odds were on their side. They were supposed to win this thing. God was on their side. Bible said in verse 6, Joshua, he tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel, they did the same thing. They sprinkled dust on their heads. I mean, they were completely devastated. They have no idea what happened. Then God spoke to Joshua in verse 10. He said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? He said, Israel has they have violated my covenant, 
which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. So that's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. God tells Joshua, hey, Joshua, you're sinning the camp. And you're not going to move from good to great until you get rid of that sin. You've got to deal with that sin. You're not experience any more victory for your army. You will be dead in the water right here until you deal with this sin. And so we look at verse number 13. God tells Joshua to go consecrate the people. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemy until you remove them. Look down at verse 15. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord. He has done an outrageous thing in Israel. And in verse 18, they pinpointed the sin to a guy named Achan. Achan's pride got in the way. He knew that he was breaking God's command. He knew that the plunder all belonged to him. And yet he refused to trust God with the first and the best. He thought that the rules, that he was above the rules, that the rules didn't apply to him. He probably didn't think he was going to get caught. I mean, he was being clever. He buried it deep underneath his tent. And isn't that like us sometimes? For those that are harboring hidden sin, you think in some ways, somehow, you'll never get caught. That you'll get away from it. You'll get away from it. That no one's looking. That no one will ever find out. The Bible said in verse 20, Achan replied to Joshua and the, and the elders and the leaders. He said, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. I want you to get your pen out. Ready? Verse 21. I want you to underline the word saw. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, I saw 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. When you underline this, I coveted, underline coveted, I coveted them. And then I want you to underline the word took. I took them. One more. I want you to underline the word hidden. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. I want you to notice the, the, the spiral of sin. My friend, you can apply this to anything and all the sins of our lives. The spiral. Achan in his pride said, I, I saw. Now, what, that's what Satan does. He dances that sin in front of you, the temptation. He makes it appealing. He makes it look good. He did it with Adam and Eve. He said, you want to be as wise as God? Just eat of that food. 
I mean, he can make it, he can make this look as good as possible. He starts with the eyes. And then your heart begins to cover it. It begins to walk. You, you got the, the, the need to have it. I must do it. I must take it. I must want it. And it's building that up. And at any point, you could stop. And would it be a sin until number three, the action? Achan took. He took what did not belong to him. He did what he should not have done. And then he hid. He, put, he, he spent it. I mean, don't we do that with sin sometimes? We justify sin. We spend it. You know, we, we, we don't say that we sin. We say, I made a mistake. You know, with the whoops. You know, I, 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 you know we spend it. We, we don't call it for what it is. We try to justify our actions. And we hide it. And because of Achan's sin, Israel experienced the first and only military defeat in Canaan. So did his family. Lost their daddy that night. They lost their dad that day. So did his family didn't see their dad come home because of Achan's sin. It's such a tragic story because the way in now Achan and his family were all killed because of his sinful action. The reality is that so many of us, we have things that we're hiding. Maybe you're not hiding at the moment, but we've all hit sin. We've all seen what we want to see and the Satan dance it and dangle it in front of us. We start to cover it in our heart. And then we take what don't belong. We do what we should not do. We think what we should not think. We say what we should not say. And then we try to spin the game. We play the spin game. We try to hide it. We try to justify it. Try to make ourselves feel better with our sin. But there are two takeaways from this message. And it will help us move from good to great. There's hope for you this morning. And when it comes to secret hidden sin, two takeaways. If you're taking note, number one, what we cover, God uncovers. What we cover, God uncovers. What draw your attention to verse to this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. People who conceal their sin will not prosper. What we cover, God will uncover. And so many of us right now in this room, we play what we call the cover-up game. We like to cover up. We're projecting one thing, but in reality, we're another. How many of you, you have little kids, and they like to play hide-and-go-seek? I remember one of my kids when they were two years old, go hide. Of course, they go hide in the bedroom. And I think they find a great hiding spot. They crawl underneath the cover on top of the bed. And they think, hey, mom and dad, I can't see them. And therefore, if I can't see them, they can't see me. And so we hide. And of course, we come walking in the bedroom, and we say, Nathan, Oh, Abigail, of course, we see them. 
You know, it would be too easy just to go there and just rip out the cover. So we're looking at the closet. We say, oh, are you under the bed? No. And finally, we'll rip the cover up. And they say, oh, you found us. They said, yeah, that was a great hiding spot, right? And they had no idea how silly they look. But you know, we, we have no idea how silly we look. When we play the cover-up game with God. In fact, when we cover up, we think we've got it made. We think we, so God can't see. You know, God doesn't know. And we begin to lie to ourselves. We begin to lie to God. We begin to lie to others. We, we say, hey, you know, they can't see. And when one of the cover, the reality is we don't see the light. We don't see the truth. We've got this whole thing that we're doing. We're just living this lie. And we need to understand that what we cover, ultimately God will uncover. Look, look at Numbers 32, verse 23. Be sure that your sins will find you out. And when the reveal happens, when God uncovers, oftentimes it's not a pretty thing. You will not move from good to great if you try to live life under the cover. Here's the second takeaway, and this is where I hope we land today. Number two, what we uncover, God covers. What we uncover, God covers. For you to go from good to great, you need to be authentic and real, which will lead us to an uncovering of our hidden sins. Go back to Proverbs again. Proverbs 28, verse 13. People who conceal, who cover their sins, will not prosper. We will not go from good to great. But, and this is the good kind of but, if they confess and turn from their sins, they will receive mercy. What we uncover, God covers. Isn't that awesome? Let's break this down for a minute. He said, if they confess. So take a note, the word confess, it means to agree with, to be in agreement with. When I am confessing, Confessing my sin. When you confess your sin, when you confess your shortcoming, your flaws, my flaws, here's what I'm doing. I'm just telling the truth before God about my sin. I'm calling it what it is. When I confess my sin to God, God's not like, oh, wow, I had no idea. Really? Oh, man, I had no idea that you committed that moral turnover. I had no idea that you had those thoughts. Scott, really? You said those words? Nah, come on. No, there's no secrets with God. There's no covert action cover up with God. God sees it all. What you uncover, God covers. And so we confess. 
We agree with God, but we don't stop there. Look at verse 13 again. If they confess, we turn from them. We turn from them. To turn means, if you're taking notes, it means to repent. Repent. Another translation, you'll see the words renounce, forsake, left behind. It means to turn and walk the other way. We change our mind on how we view sin. It's a change in the mind. And if we confess and repent, check out what happens next in verse 13. Then we will find mercy. All of our sins, in other words, all of our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. When we confess and renounce and turn away from our sins, Jesus, he covers us. He covered those sins with his blood. And we are marked with his righteousness. We're covered by his grace. We're covered by his forgiveness and mercy. That's what happens when we come clean and uncover our sin. So confession and, 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 confession and repentance, they, they trigger the mercies of God. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not submitting to those things, and obeying those things, we will never discover the mercy of God. You will not prosper. You will struggle in this life in the wilderness. And you will stay there. You will not move from spiritual greatness because you play the game, the cover-up game. We've got to be real. We've got to say, the Lord, I've been living a lie. This sin that I have been covering for so long has been controlling my life. It's been controlling me. And when we cover up, I'm telling you, God will uncover it at some point. And it will not be pretty. We don't want to mess around with that. But when you uncover, God will cover with his forgiveness and grace and mercy. He says, God, you don't understand what I've done. You have no idea. And you're right. I have no idea what you've done. I don't know it all. But I do know a guy in the Bible who had committed adultery and committed murder. He was also known as a man after God's own heart. You've heard of this guy, right? His name is David. King David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband Uriah killed. And for a year, David, oh, he played the cover-up game. He thought, man, no one can see. I'm the most powerful man in the world. He, he had buried the files, classified it for his eyes only, and buried it in the depth of the Jerusalem walls. No one knows. He said, man, I've got it made. I've got it covered. I've got my wife. No one, knows, no one has no idea that he committed adultery. No one has any idea that he murdered. And he thought he was doing great. But the Bible says, this is what David was really feeling. Maybe you can identify with this. Psalm 32, verse 3 and 5. 
when David was covering up his sin, the Bible says, but I refuse to confess my sin. Oh, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Miserable. Hot. I can't see. I'm blinded by my own sin. Bible said in verse number four, he said, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. I'm drained. I could barely go in my life. I'm struggling. I'm not going where God wants to take me because I can't see where God wants to take me. He said in verse number five, finally, I confessed. I confessed all my sin to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to the Lord, he said, I will confess my rebellion before God. And you forgave me. I uncovered. And God covered me with his forgiveness. David, an adulterer, a murderer, he uncovered, and God covered him with the grace and mercy, forgiveness and power, new strength. He opened eyes to the plan and the agenda that God has for him, and all this wonderful benefit that God wants to give him, a clear conscience. He gave David a fresh start. And if you're here this morning, God wants to give you a fresh start too. It's waiting for you to uncover so that he can cover you with his love. And so how do you go about with David? Well, here's my last thought before we get done here. But take a note. David got Nathanized. Got Nathanized. There was a guy that worked for him named Nathan, the prophet. And Nathan confronted him in love. He said, oh, king, you're in sin. Now, David had all the power to snuff him out right there on the spot. He said, oh, man, I've been caught. I need to hide him. I need to get rid of him so I can keep playing my game. But God spoke through Nathan. And David opened his eyes to the sin that he was hiding. And David submitted, received the truth. He confessed, he repented, and began to do what God wanted him to do. My friend, listen, every time you come to church, every time I come to church, we get Nathanized. Every time you open God's word, we get Nathanized. In fact, that's why a lot of people are afraid to have a quiet time. They're afraid that if we get in the word, we might get Nathanized. And so what's that we talk about being Nathanized? Here's what, I'm, here's what I mean by that. What I'm talking about is the power of the Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, Jesus invites the Holy Spirit to come inside your life and mind. The Holy Spirit will teach us, guide us in our truth. He will convict us. He would nudge us in the right direction. He would challenge us. We, we, 
Some of you, you know, he, he speaks through the message this morning. You're being Nathanized by your speech. Maybe you got Nathanized by you reading God's word. Maybe God Nathanized you through the power of the Holy Spirit to a friend, a spouse. Maybe your conscience. In David's case, the Holy Spirit used a guy named Nathan. God has confronted some of you this morning with a sin in your life. You've been Nathanized. And God said you need to wake up and smell the coffee. It's time to uncover. It's time to uncover. It's time to let it go and stop speaking lies about yourself and tell the truth about the sin that's in your life and come clean before God and confess and repent. God said, when you do that, I will cover you and you will prosper and you can move in this path from going from good to great. You got to come clean. My friend, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can either live like this, walking around, stumbling about. You can't see. It's dark. It's hot under this blanket. I'm telling you, it's hot. I'm sweating. I'm lost. I'm self-consumed. I'm miserable. I don't want to live here for very long. You have a choice. You can live like this. Or you can take it all off. It's your choice. I choose to live like this. What about you? Our God, we ask you to help us today. Help us in our life to come clean, to uncover, so that we can experience your wonderful covering of your forgiveness and grace and mercy. Help us to come clean. Help us to stop lying about the sins in our lives in the dark corners of our heart. God, we're not holding any secret from you. You know everything about it. You know all about it. And so God, I pray we come and confess and we repent. We repent to you and only you. And then, God, we get other people in our lives to help us to walk in a different direction, to hold us accountable so that we can keep moving from good to great. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.